So, hello. My name is Latoya Massey. My husband and I are in Atlanta at North River with the campus ministry there. Um, and so, shout out. And so, um, we're excited to be here. Fun fact, the first thing I ever came to before I was a disciple was this retreat. This very place. So, it's very sentimental to me to be here, to be here, able to do a class even, to have my husband here, to have my child here. It's like, wow, this is full circle. So it's really, really special. I hope it can become a really, really special place for you as well. Um, but we're going to jump in. We're going to start in Acts chapter 8. Um, and this is a, such a small class. I think it'll be really cool if we can have, like, feedback. You know what I mean? So I want to hear what you think. And um, even as we go through, it'll be really cool to get some of your insights. But in Acts chapter 8, um, a little bit more about myself, which I'll share in a little bit. Um, I've been married. It'll be four years in 12 days. 12 days, we will celebrate four years of marriage, which is wild. Um, and I've been a disciple for almost nine, almost 10 years. So it's cool to, to be able to, um, again, be here. This is kind of where it all started. But in Acts 8, we're going to jump in in verse 26, and I'll read 26 through 39. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candace, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone down to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come in and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way from me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip totally just lost my spot. And Philip went on his way rejoicing. We can stop there. So this is a, a cool story. You have this eunuch. Who here knows what a eunuch is? Who wants to answer that? What's a eunuch? Oh, Becky, you're already speaking. What's a eunuch? Who in here knows what a eunuch is? I saw some other hands. Did you raise your hand? Yeah. What's a unit? Uh, they're like the queen's, um, like the queen appoints them to take care of like certain things and they go in the name of the queen. Yeah. So he's like a representative of the Ethiopian queen. And a little bit more specifically, a eunuch, and because he works so closely with the queen, a eunuch specifically is someone who's been castrated. He's been like committed to purity so that he can never try to take advantage of the queen. He can never try anything. So this is a man, this eunuch, would probably be more devoted to purity than anyone else that I know, right? Because he's allowed himself to be physically changed so that he wouldn't be tempted in this way. And so this is a really devout man. And he's kind of reading this passage. You see Philip kind of walk up to him out of nowhere. And it's so, it's so cool to see his humility. He's like a really important guy. He works with the queen. He's so like pure. He got all these things going for him. And he's really wealthy. He's in a chariot. You know what I mean? Chariots weren't just like passed around back then. Like he's a wealthy man reading his own Bible. Like he, you kind of find him in a good spot. But if you notice when Philip walks up and is like, hey, do you understand what you're, re you're reading? In verse 31, his response is really humble. He says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. And many of us are in that stage of life right now where we've kind of had our modern day eunuch experience where we're trying to work on our relationship with God, we're really trying to fight, we're really trying to pray, and God has allowed our modern-day Phillips to come in, and we've invited them into our lives. We've invited them into our chariot. So for me, my modern-day Philip was a girl named Amy. She was my co-worker, and she started telling me about the Bible, about her walk with God, and that's how I got here. Who are you? Shout out the name of your modern-day Philip. Who's the girl who reached out to you, first texted you? Jordan. Girl. <laughs> Jordan. Okay, who else? I want to hear one more name. What's one more name? Carrie. Carrie. There you go. Okay, so we have our modern-day Phillips who are like, hey, you know what you're doing, right? 
And hopefully we're humble and say, like, can you help me? Like, can you explain to me what's happening here? Because we want to be like the scriptures, right? And we also have our modern-day chariots. I wasn't in a chariot. I don't know about you. I don't have a chariot. I wasn't in a chariot when I got reached out to. I was at work in the gym. Where were you guys when someone first had a good conversation with you, invited you out, started this conversation about, do you want to learn more about the Bible? Where were you guys? Student center. Student center. Student center is the spot, probably. (laughs) Coffee shop. Remember that? Omelies. It's really cool to be able to parallel our lives to the scripture. That way we don't think this is something new. This thing that you're doing, this journey that you're on, it didn't just start when that girl tapped your shoulder, right? This is something that in the Bible we see people doing this over and over and over again. And it's cool to be able to be in this journey that uh, the eunuch is on. And what I love about this passage, and we'll kind of explain a little bit more as we go, but at the end of the passage you get to see in verse 39 it says, When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. And if you notice, he talks about how he's told him the good news about Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about today. It's Jesus. That's it. The good news about Jesus, what he's done, what that means for us. And it's good reason to rejoice. Like, it is insane, the fact that we get to have a relationship with God. You know what I mean? Like, let alone the fact that we are unworthy, we're sinful. But he goes above and beyond to pursue us, to die for us, right? And so I want to do a little exercise. I want you, you don't have to close your eyes if you feel like that's weird or whatever, but just listen to this passage. I'm going to read a passage. I just got a new Bible, so if it takes me eight years to get to a page, it's because I haven't touched them in this Bible at all. So I'm going to go to this passage. I'm not going to tell you where it is, but just, just listen to this passage. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoe, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And although the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for those transgressors. Who is this talking about? Say it confidently. Who's this talking about? Jesus. This is talking about Jesus. Clearly, right? Like, no one in here was like, I think Paul or that guy, Jude. Like, obviously, this is Jesus. And guess where this passage is from? This is Isaiah 53. This passage was written 700 years before Jesus was even born. This passage was written before crucifixion was even a thing. This is a prophecy. This is something that we can look at and go, wow, Jesus fulfilled that, right? And Jesus being a Jew, right? Jesus was a Jew when he was born and he knew the Torah and he knew the book. You think he knew the scripture? You think Jesus maybe at 17 might have been reading through the scriptures, Isaiah and came across this passage. What do you think he might have felt? Sad. Sad. Scared. Terrified. Is it worth it? Did I make a decision? Am I too far? Like, he knew this was coming. This is not a surprise. And in verse uh, 7 and 8 is actually in this passage is where the eunuch was reading. So it's kind of cool that we get to read that same scripture. This man was in his chariot trying to figure out his walk with God, and he was reading this very passage, and that's when (coughs) Philip came on. So he was reading Isaiah 53. 
And I'm going to read verse 10 and, 10 and 12. It says, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And then in verse 12, it says, therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. That's something that I feel like we can overlook sometimes, is that Jesus knew all along what it was going to cost for us to have a relationship with him. So I don't know how many of you guys know this. He was, he was uh, crucified at the age of 33. That's 33 years of him knowing Isaiah 53 is me. You know what I mean? Like, what if you knew today? What if I told you right now that everything that, I mean, Christina did a phenomenal job. Every illness that she just mentioned was going to happen to you starting tomorrow. Or even in a year, you'd be like a little apprehensive, a little hesitant. And I think sometimes we can forget that Jesus was human. He, was, he felt what we felt, right? And so we're going to flip over to Matthew 26. I hope you guys like a lot of scripture because at the end of the day, this is not my message. This is the good news about Jesus. <laughs> and so if you don't have a pen, if you don't have a piece of paper or a phone, whatever, get it out because I'm going to give you a lot of Bible. Um, so Matthew 26. Verses 27 and 28. Are you guys there? You guys can speak confidently. So if you're there, be like, yeah, I'm there. I got my Bible. Yeah, Matthew 26, verses 27 and 28. And I'll read that really quickly. It says, then he took up a, took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And you see that, that language again, poured out. Didn't we just see that in verse 12 of Isaiah 53? Yeah. And do you think Jesus' listeners, also being Jews, might have known Isaiah 53 was a thing, yeah. right? And so Jesus uses language that his listeners know to connect some dots. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm about to pour out my blood. I'm about to do something that you guys have heard and have listened to and have read a lot. And that biblical language is what we need to try to get today. So I think there's a lot of fuzz about what it means to respond to God, but I really want to equip you guys with a lot of scripture. Like, we're going to look at a lot of scripture. Because I want you to speak biblically. I want you to think biblically. Because that's really empowering to be able to say, no, the reason I did what I I did was because of verse (laughs) 8. You know, not because I felt this, or I thought this, or it just seemed right, or I saw someone else do it, but really having biblical conviction about this. And it even says in verse 27, it says, in verse 28, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And that's the whole point, is our sin is a big deal. It's worthy of forgiveness. And we'll get into that a little bit more. But I'm going to have Becca come up and share her story and her testimony of, like, the sin that she was involved in and how she kind of got rescued by God. Hey, ladies. Um, no, I just feel super grateful to have this opportunity to even share. I love that, like, my Philip moment, my chariot moment. Um, so I'll give you guys a little bit of background. I, well, I'm Becca. I know she said that. But uh, I grew up in Georgia in Peachtree City, which is a pretty, like, majority white, wealthy people. And my family were white, but not on the wealthier side. Definitely no religious background. Neither of my parents attended church growing up or anything. And so I grew up with just this idea of really comparing myself to everyone. Like everyone around me seemed to have the perfect family and the perfect things. And I just, I wanted everything that everyone else had. Um, And when I was at home, I just felt both my parents were addicted to alcohol and pretty absent. And so I just desired just this idea of family and love and companionship. But when I went to school, I was so afraid to like give myself to people because of that like love that I didn't have at home. I was like, oh, if even the people that raised me or raised me can't love me, then no one else can. And so I just became whoever everyone else needed me to be. Like to some people, I was a class clown to The cheerleaders, I was the captain, I led the team, to my nerd friends, I was always studying. Like I just was whoever the people around me needed me to be. And in that, I completely lost sight of like who I wanted to be. I think the only thing that I knew I wanted for myself was to not get into drinking, to not get into drugs, to not be with all like these guys that I saw my sisters hooking up with. And I, I saw the pain and destruction that came from alcoholism, from fighting, my parents seeing that, from the, um, (laughs) 
just the sin in my family's life. At that time, I had no idea what it was. I didn't call it sin. I was just like, what are they doing? And so I had this idea of what I was going to do. I was going to get great grades in high school. I was going to go to an amazing college. I was going to have an amazing boyfriend and get married and get a great job and have nothing to do with my family. Um, But as I continued through high school, that stuff didn't necessarily work out for me. I got denied from the only college I applied to, and my dream boyfriend um, dumped me. And yeah, I think just everything started to crumble. This, I had like such a lack of security in my family, and so the security that I built in myself, like people seeing me the specific way, it was now just like, I have no idea who I am because the security that I've built is gone. And so instead of trying to find a healthy way to cope with things, I just fell into the patterns of what I had seen before me and started going to parties, started skipping a ton of school, like a ton. I almost didn't walk um, my senior year. I started doing drugs and got so involved in that world that I was like selling drugs at one point. I probably, you name it, I've tried it, I've been there. Um, Started sleeping around with guys, um, just had no respect for myself. But I think I was just seeking fulfillment somewhere. Like I just, I hated how I felt this like disappointment and shame of my whole dreams like falling, that I had to find something that was going to free me from that pain. And so went to college after I graduated, amen. with the full expectation of living like the college lifestyle that you get to see in movies. Like I was gonna find a man, I was gonna find a plug, I was gonna get through school. I ended up applying to KSU because it was like the only like rolling application at the time. And so it's like, gotta apply somewhere. So I went to KSU with pretty low expectations. And luckily God had very different plans for my life. And I ended up getting invited to a devotional a few weeks into school, and the only reason I went is because the guy that invited me was really cute, and I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I was blown away. I went, and I sat in like the middle section in the back, so I could try to hide a little bit, and for the first time in my life, I had seen people read scripture and try to live it out. And I was just like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> like, because I, I grew up in the South, so I've heard of Jesus. I've seen the Bible. I don't know. I've never picked it up or read it or anything. But, like, I knew Jesus died for my sins. Did I know what that mean? No. I knew, like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But that was pretty much all I knew. I didn't know, in, like, who Jesus was or what any of that stuff meant. I was just like, cool, you guys do your thing. I'm going to go do my thing. Um... But yeah, so for the first time, I saw people actually take that stuff seriously. Like, the Devo that I went to was a guy-girl relationship, and this couple was talking, and they were like, we didn't even kiss till our wedding day. I was like, and I'm here with this guy that I like. I'm like, hey, you doing that? Um, and, <laughs> amen. So, yeah, I just, I, I remember leaving for the first time just super curious. Like, what's wrong with these people? Why are, like, are they being fake? Or are they actually this nice? Why are they trying to live their life so differently than anything I've ever seen? And so I just kept going back. Like I went to, so that was a Friday night. I went to church that Sunday. I went to a Bible talk that Monday about building your foundation on the rock. And I'm like, at this point I had like a notebook and I was taking notes. And I'm like, what does any of this stuff mean? I'm so confused. Um, and then I went to TNL that Tuesday. And then I had my first Bible study the next Wednesday. JJ was there, so... Shout out. But yeah, I I like bought a Bible. I started reading it. I started going to these Bible studies. And it was funny. I remember them asking, like, do you have any questions? I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Yes. Like, my first Bible study asked, like, what does it even mean to pray? How do I do that? Prayed for the first time that night. It was really incredible because God answered that prayer. Yeah, so I prayed that night that God would take the desire to smoke pot away. And... Yeah, so he did, which was really incredible. That was like, the day before that was the last time I ever smoked pot, and it was something that I did like every single day, multiple times a day. Um, So that was just really crazy. I started reading the Bible for myself and getting to see like the Jesus of the Bible rather than the Jesus of the Bible belt. 
which was really cool and getting to like oh my the things that he says to the pharisees i'm like no you can't say that like you're supposed to be the son of god this is crazy or like the way that he talks talks to his disciples the fact that he flips a table and gets so indignant about people just being unrighteous and unholy in god's house i'm like wow okay so this does mean something more than what i've seen people do and So I was just so curious. And so it was cool to read through John. I think chapter 7, Jesus is talking to some Pharisees, and they're just really doubting him. And he's like, if you choose to do the will of God, you will see that it comes from him. It's not something that I'm coming up with. And so it was cool. I think the girls really challenged me to start trying to live out God's will. So I started cutting off a lot of stuff. Um, That guy that I was with, we were not super pure and so trying to build boundaries there and I was like so excited I was like yeah we have a relationship and it's not totally surrounded around all this physical impurity like I'm so proud of myself and started listening to different music stopped watching the tv show I had to give up Game of Thrones y'all I kid you not that was like one of the biggest like costs I had to count that was my show (laughs) um yeah I started making these changes in my life and truly seeing God move like seeing him answer prayers I was like Why have I never done this before? Then I think even John chapter 8, where Jesus talks about, if you hold to my teachings, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I was like, freedom. Like, that's what I've been looking for for these past, like, two years. That's what I need is freedom from this sin, freedom from this life that I've been living. But I'm like, how do I hold to the teachings? I don't even know what that means. Girls, please help me. Um... And so, yeah, I started to study out sin a little bit more. I started to study out the sacrifice that we're talking about today, what Jesus did for me, and how I'm going to respond to that. Um, And, yeah, I think it was just incredible to see Jesus move in my life for the first time. I'm like, yeah, uh, what have I been doing these past 18 years? (laughs) Need to make some changes. And so, yeah, I think there was no question when I read through the crucifixion for the first time, I was like, all right, actually I was weeping. I wasn't like, all right. I was like, okay, like it's time to make a change and it is time to give up my life for Jesus. And so I had to figure out how to do that, which is so cool because the Bible tells us like so specifically what the way to get to God is. And it is through Jesus. It is through his truth and through his teachings. So yeah, it's been incredible. Like a few weeks after we sat down for the first time, after this retreat, it's funny, we had like a five-hour Bible study at this retreat. I was like, all right, yeah, I'm ready to get in the water. Let's do this thing. Um, and yeah, so I gave my life over to Jesus, and it has been an absolute journey since November 6, 2015. Did I ever forget? It's right here on my arm, so I feel great about it. <laughs> um, But yeah, I think it's just amazing to really focus on Jesus and who he is and who he is to each of us individually, because it's not just this mass thing that he's done. He's done it all for each of us, which is so cool. Yeah, yeah, that's me. So that's awesome. Let's look at Ephesians chapter two. I love being in it. If you could relate to anything Becca said, raise your hand. Okay, so it's, it's interesting to see how Satan isn't creative. He's just persistent, yeah. right? And he's going to get each of us to some of the same things. Raise your hand if you can relate to something Christina said today when in her lesson, right? And so it's kind of crazy to think like, wow, we're just being like played around with Satan. Satan's just playing us a little bit. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to talk about how we can get free from it. Ephesians chapter 2, I'm going to read 1 through 4. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and your sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. We can pause right there. We're going to finish this uh, verse in a little bit. But I think this is a really important thing to pause on and remember that due to our sin, biblically, we are dead. We are not alive. Right? And whether your sin is more like Becca or for me, I can't relate to a lot of what Becca was doing because a lot of my stuff, I grew up very religious. My mom is an ordained minister. I grew up in church every Sunday, every Wednesday, every choir anniversary, whatever. Whenever the doors were open, we were there. And that was my life, but a lot of my sin was internal. 
It's very deceitful. By the time I was in college, I was a youth assistant youth pastor in a, in a ministry in a mega, mega church in Atlanta. I was assistant youth pastor of a ministry, preaching all the time. Like, I don't know how. I didn't know my Bible. But I was preaching all the time. But then at Georgia State, I went to Georgia State University. I was sending it up. I was going to parties. I was drinking. I was, like, sitting, staying the night with guys. Very few times my freshman year did I sleep in my own bed. Like, but that was all happening at the same time. So I mastered two worlds very well, which lets you know how good of a liar I am. I'm very deceitful. I can make you believe whatever I want you to believe. That's terrifying. Because I lost who I was, right? And it may not have been outward, right? Like, I feel like a lot of people didn't know that. Very few people knew both girls. But I did, and I had to live with both of those women. And very few people knew how unhappy I was, how lonely I was. Because I was immodest. I was on the dance team. I was homecoming queen. I was winning pageants at Georgia State. I was on the list of top 10 girls to know at Georgia State, but I was dead. Like, that girl is terrifying to me. But to the world, she's who everybody wants to be, right? Because the world thinks to be dead is to be alive, right? And so we have to really change the way that we think, which we'll talk about that more in a second. But it's important for us to remember the gravity of our sin because we'll never feel urgent to get out of it. If you don't realize you're drowning, you're never going to seek help. And that's Satan's number one tool is to make you think you're not that bad. It's really hard for me to look at you guys and tell you that you're dead. Because the world's like, you're not that bad, or you're a good person, or maybe you, you gave food to that homeless person, or you're, come on, it's not that big of a deal. You will not see that in the scripture. Yeah. Wherever sin is included, the Bible says that we are dead, and God is the only way that we can come alive, the only way. And the, beauty, the beautiful thing is, is that we can come alive. And I don't mean like come alive in a sense of like barely, you know, barely breathing and kind of shivering on the side of the road. I mean alive, you know, living life full, excited, loving what you're doing, free, oh my God, free from your sin. Are you serious? That's beautiful. That's amazing that God offers that to us. But we have to first take the first step to be humble and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm not alive right now. And I ha- how does that sit with me? Does that scare me? Do I even care? Because what's really funny, so, <laughs> side note, the girl who first reached out to me my sophomore year, her name is Alana. She reached out to me, gave me her number, and I threw her number in the trash can. Because I was like, I'm good. I, I lead a ministry. I know my Bible. I know John 3:16 and the other one, the Becca quote. You know what I mean? Like, everyone thinks highly of me. Everybody worships the ground I walk on. I'm good. I don't need anybody to help me. Two years later, as a senior, I came to this retreat very aware of my deadness at that point. I had been in a terrible relationship, terrible relationship. Everything had fallen apart. I was so, I'd lost basically everything. And I came to this retreat. And guess who was in my Bible study? Alana. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, girl. I, she gave me her number, and I was like, oh, snap. Hey, I didn't even tell her that. I don't think. I just was like, that's cool. I'll just keep that to myself because that's embarrassing. But it's important that we understand who we are biblically in our sin because yeah. biblically, the Bible says that we are deserving of wrath, yeah. Yeah. that we are by objects enemies of God. And I look at that girl now, having been able to learn to think and speak biblically, and I'm like, that makes so much sense. I was two different people, not righteous, not pure, not holy, not honest, total liar on a lot of things. There's no way that I can confidently look at that girl and say, be like her, you'll be like Jesus. But on the outside, people were like, so proud of me. But for what? Right? And I think we have to sit and take a second to be like, does it matter to me that I might be dead? Does it matter to me what that means? Does it scare me? Does it, does it spark anything in me? Because at the end of the day, it's not just about being a church girl. This is a humility check for our hearts. Because the world is going to boost you up in all the wrong ways. They're going to make you think, oh, you're GPA. You're good. Oh, you have cute hair. You're good. I like your shoes. You're good. There's so much to get security from in the world. But it all doesn't mean anything. It's all going to burn. <laughs> you know? But what God offers us is true security in him. Because sin is a sickness. You guys can write down James 5.16. It talks about how we need to seek healing from our sin. And healing is only attached to illness. Right? Like, you don't need healing from drinking water. You know, like, you need healing from something that is going to kill you. And that's what sin does. We have so much to be grateful for because Jesus gave up his life so we'd have a chance to get healed. Not even, like, confirm that we're going to, right? That was a huge sacrifice. I don't know about you, but when I see Passion of the Christ clips, it's actually really hard for me to watch it. Especially that part where they, like, show it, get into his side, and it pulls off his skin. That, I, every time, I, I either look away... Or every time I have to force myself to look at it because that was the result of my sin. Yeah. 
no matter how invisible it was. That time I lied, that time I was manipulative, that time I was talking to a whole bunch of guys at the same time, lying about every little thing, when I was immodest, when I was impure, when I, like, when I was self-righteous, right? <laughs> All of that is sin. And I, for me, looking at that video, it's like, I, I want to look away, but I can't because this is my fault. I have to take responsibility of that, right? And so that's something that I have to really fight. And I want us all to fight for deep gratitude for what God has done for us, what Jesus has done for us. And I think as a mom having a son, I don't, now that I look at the, I look at the cross so differently now that I've had Camden because it's not just Jesus that made the sacrifice, but God gave up his son. Let me tell you right now, if one of y'all roll up on my son, Uh uh-uh, you know, you're not going to give him a paper cut, let alone crucify this man, you know? And so for God to make that sacrifice, the first time I watched it after being a mom, I could not stop crying. And they keep, you know, flashing to Jesus' mom, and I'm just like, that's her baby. That's God's baby. You know, like, that's terrible. Sin is costly. But in the world, it's normal. So Satan's doing a really good job. We, the only thing that's going to get us free is biblical thinking. We're going to go back to the source so that we could get full healing, not just partial, right? Because God doesn't want you just like your heart beating but your brain dead, right? God came to that. John 10 says he came to give us life to the full. But I love what Becca said is that he made it really clear in the scriptures how to do that. And so the way that I like to think about it is if I write you, let's say I'm a millionaire, and I write you a $5 million check. It's good. You don't have to worry about whether or not the money's there. You get a $5 million check for me. If you take that $5 million check and you go to your favorite store, can you check out at line with that check written out to your name? No. That's a real question. No. no. Why? It's, it's good. The money's there. It's more than enough to cover your purchase. Like, this is that. Like, why can't you do that? You have to cash it out, right? And so even though you have this, I've offered you this gift, there's actually, the bank has a standard for how to get that money. And I also can't just take my check in the bank like, hey, what's up? Can I get my five million dollars? No, they're like, do you have an account with us? Do you have your card? Do you have your ID? No, but I got my check. You need to go get your ID. <laughs> like, what's your account number? Like, there's a, there's a way to receive your gift. And you can't just take it because it's offered and go to your favorite store and ball out. They're going to be like, you got to put all that back. You don't get any of that. If you take it, you are stealing. <laughs> go cash a check and then come back, right? If the bank is allowed to have a standard, why isn't God? Sometimes God has a standard and we're like, oh, but... Do I have to have an ID? Because, you know, I got the check and I'm already here. I already put stuff in my basket. Is it cool if I just get my stuff and I come back later? You are stealing. <laughs> and that's why we become objects of wrath because we don't respect God. Yeah. I think in a lot of ways we need to be humble before God and be reverent. It's God. You know what I mean? Like we don't deserve to walk up to God and have him heal us the way we want to, when we want to, when it's convenient for us, the way that I feel best about, what makes me feel happiest. He's not our genie. He's God. Yeah. And when we approach God, we need to be grateful. We need to be grateful that he's given us the chance to be in his presence. Right? I mean, think about Esther, the story of Esther. She walked up to the king, risking her life because she knew if she came before the king without permission, what could he do? He could kill her. And he's not even God. <laughs> but that's just the authority of the king. That's just the standard. If you come before me without my permission, I could have you killed. We don't get that because we're not in a monarchy and we don't have, like, we don't understand that fully. But sometimes we approach God with, with a little bit of arrogance. Yeah, sure. And I think it, it's not healthy. It's not healthy for us and it's not respectful, right? Like, it's not respectful sometimes when we look at God. And so out of reverence, I think we really need to be humble and be like, God, how do I cash this check? Because just because Jesus died doesn't mean we're automatically like, oh, cool, got it. Thanks for what you did. That's how I thought, at least. That's what I grew up thinking, like, Jesus died for me. Appreciate it. I'm not to go to a club, but I'm so grateful for your grace because I'll pray at night. I'll pray before I go to bed. And that's the way I live my life. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5. Are you guys following me? I know it's a lot. These pages are literally stuck together. All right. Thanks, friend. <laughs> We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to read verse 11. In verse 11, it says, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope also it is plain to your conscience. In verse 14, it says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them 
and was raised from the grave. This is Paul speaking, and he's using, he's using some pretty interesting words. You see the word persuade. Another word that he uses is implore. And I looked up another, like, a couple of other words, like synonyms for implore. Another word for implore is to beg. He's begging people. What is he begging him? Begging them. He's like, verse 14, for Christ's love compels us, because we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. He's begging them to be reconciled with God. To be united with God. He's begging them. When's the last time someone begged you to do something? That means they're really, 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 I mean, they're, it's almost humiliating, the word beg, right? Paul, the apostle, is willing to loathe himself to be like, please, guys, be reconciled with God. Please get right. Please get right with God. He's begging them. And to be honest, that's what I'm here to do. On behalf of Christ, as an ambassador for Christ, I beg you, ladies, be right with God. If you are not confident in that, if you're confused about that, if you don't know, be confident, be reconciled with God. Because biblically, that's what we're all supposed to do for each other. Right? This isn't in the section of, if you want to be a pastor, you should do these things. This isn't in the it's, If you want to follow Jesus, you become an ambassador. And as an ambassador, you go and speak on behalf of Jesus. If Jesus was in this room, he would, what's your name? Mide. Mide? Hi, Mide. I'm <laughs> he wouldn't be like, hey, Mide, you want to um, follow me? If you have some time, you want to like, I mean, you don't have to if you don't want to. It's, it's cool if you are busy. Like, would you, would you be cool if you wanted, like, would you, like, he's not that guy who's insecure to ask you to prom. He's coming like, I will marry you. Yes. I will give you a house. I will give you a home. I will love you. I will raise your children. Like, he's like, please, be with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what we want. We want someone who will confidently choose us. Yeah. But then we don't give God that same respect. We don't confidently always choose him. Yeah. Right? But he still is like, that's okay. I know you won't confidently choose me every time, but I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I'll be here forever. You know? And so his love for us, that's what it says in verse 14. What compels us? It says, Christ's love compels us. Ladies, God loves you. We don't even understand. <laughs> and one, uh, recently someone asked me, so my son is four and a half months old. He's the cutest thing in the world. I love him. So someone recently asked me, what's the thing you've learned the most since being a mom? And it's only been four months, so I'm not a professional or anything. But I think something I realized when I was pregnant is that I loved, obviously I loved that kid, but I'd never met him. I'd never seen him. He'd never done anything for me. He'd never made me proud. He'd never validated me. He'd never bought me a car. If he wants to do that, that'd be awesome. But he hasn't done that yet, right? He has done nothing for me. In fact, he's caused me a lot of pain, actually, right? Like, I gave birth. Yeah, I did that. I give birth, right? And then you feed him. You wake up in the middle of the night. He, pee, he has peed on me. He has pooped on me. He has thrown up on me. He does nothing for me. But would I die for him? Yes, absolutely. Without question. Without even thinking about it. He's done nothing for me. But I love that little boy. And that's how God feels about you. You have done nothing for him. You will never do anything for him, right? Like, he's good. He's God. But does God love you? Yes. Would he die for you? Yes. Are you confident in that? That's the question, right? That level of love. I think it's really hard for us to accept that level of love. But God loves you. I I feel like the only reason I can do that as a mom is because I get that somewhere from God. I don't know where. I'm created in his image. So I have to believe that level of love for someone who does nothing for he has not made me proud. He's really cute, so that definitely helps. But at the end of the day, he could look like a whole rock, and I would be like, that's my baby. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he is my son. And, and I think it's important for us to realize, like, that kind of love would drastically change you. Yeah. To re- be the recipient of that. And for me, as a mom, that's one thing I've learned, but I've obtained a new greatest fear. The one thing that could bring me to tears is the idea of Camden not knowing me. Like, if I were to die before he could cognitively connect with me and know this was my mom, this was her character, this is what she liked, this was her favorite color, this was her movie, this is our memories. That idea scares the crap out of me because I love him so much, you know? If he doesn't know me, I can't replace that. He might get a stepmom, but she's not me, you know? And so I think I get that from God. He's like, you don't know me yet. Yeah. You don't really know me. You talk to the step-cousin and mom and uncle and brother. Talk to me. you got to know me. And when you know me, I'll leave you. 
I'll give you that house. I'll give you that home. I'll take care of you, but you don't know me yet, right? And so how do we know Jesus? We go to the scriptures. We go to a lot of scriptures, and there's three things that I think if you guys can be confident in anything, this is biblically the road to get to God. He makes it really clear. I mean, if if Jesus died for you, do you think he wants to be confusing on how to get to him? He's like, are you kidding me? Like, make a left at the light. You know, like, he's so, so obvious, right? I think about one time we went to Costa Rica for a mission trip like three years ago, and they don't have addresses in Costa Rica. So we asked the question all the time, how do you get your mail? And we never got a real answer. They're like, when we order pizza, you just hear honking down the street. Like, they're like, oh, the pizza man, they're waving out the window. We're here. Like, there's no addresses. So they literally give directions like, make a left at the Burger King, and then there's going to be that red house with the green door, turn right. Like, it's so confusing. I'm like, I don't even know how you guys survive. I get lost with the GPS in front of me. Like, I'm terrible with directions. But God is like, I've gone through so much. I'm going to make the road to me very, very clear. Yeah. Now, if I'm Satan, I'm not, thank God. But if I was Satan, what would my job to be? Make it really confusing. All I'm trying to do is do the opposite of God, right, if I'm Satan. So if God's intention is to make it very simple and clear, Satan's like, I'm making it really complicated and confusing and blurry. So how do we, how do we know what to do? We go to the scriptures, and that's what we're going to do. So there's three things that I think we need to be um, having really, really good convictions on as we try to make Jesus the Lord of our lives. The first one is faith. Let's go to John chapter 3. John 3. This is a really, really popular passage. <laughs> this is one of the ones I knew before I came to Bible. Amen. John chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. The first thing I think we have to have is faith. You have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, right? Which that in of itself is a big deal. Sometimes we underestimate it, especially in the Bible Belt South. It's just like Jesus is just like a household name. We just drop left and right, you know? But Jesus is the son of God. He was literally on this earth. He never sinned. Not, you know, the outward sin, the inward sin. He never sinned. And then this man died. He was crucified. He was flogged. And this is the creepy part. He rose from the dead. (laughs) Right? And that's, it's funny when you read the Gospels, the people in in the Bible times were also shook. Right? They were like... Like, they may not have had all the technology and stuff that we do, but they know people don't rise from the dead. That, yeah. You just don't do that. This man was dead for three days. And then it says he walked among the people for 40 yeah. days. That's weird, right? A little confusing. You ha- do, you believe, do you really believe that? Yeah. Do you feel confident in that? Do you believe in who Jesus says he is? Because he makes some big claims. There's lots of other religions that say, oh, he's a good guy, he's a good prophet. Well, he wasn't really the son of God, or he never really came in the flat. Like, there's, again, Satan's job. There's a lot of fuzziness, but we, we go back to the scriptures, and we read who Jesus says he is about himself. Do we believe that? That's called faith. I once heard something in a book. I was reading this book, and it says, faith is the feeling you get if you imagine getting to heaven and Jesus wasn't there. Because that's the point of it, right? I want to be united with God. I want to be united with Jesus. If I go to heaven and he's not there, I missed it. I, I, like, I, I don't want to be where he is not because I'm so convinced on who he is. Yeah. So ask yourself that question in this first area. Faith is powerful. Faith is necessary. It is irreplaceable. But faith is not it. Because a lot of, one of the areas that Satan's really loud on is this idea that all you have to do to be right with God is believe. I believe that, I, that he is who he says he is and that's enough. But that's not biblical. That's not really true. So what is biblical? Let's keep reading. A lot of times, well, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the concept of faith alone, but it's it's this idea that attaches rightness with God, salvation, to just stopping at belief. And Jesus didn't die again so we could be partially healed. He wants us to have full healing. And although this is one of the most quoted scriptures of our time, sometimes we stop prematurely. Let's keep reading and see what the second thing is. 
This is literally the same scripture, (laughs) the same chapter, verse 19. It says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. It says that everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So it brings up our deeds. The first one is faith. The second thing is repentance. What you do, how you live, apparently it matters. Attached to that same passage, right, that a lot of times can be used to say just believe, right? But it talks about how our deeds, we want to keep things in the dark. And that's a good thing for us to check our hearts. What about us? What are deeds that you are afraid of exposing? The things that you are afraid to talk about? It says that they loved darkness. You know, that was one of the convicting things for me as I was studying the Bible, is I had to admit, in my sin, I really enjoyed being that girl. I really got a lot of security from people knowing my name. A lot of of validity from the fact that I was on the dance team for Georgia State. I got a lot of security from that girl. And I loved it. I wanted to protect her. Because she meant a lot. The boys that I knew meant a lot. Right? So repentance was having to come into the light. There was a lot. Because I lived two different lives, there was a lot in the darkness. A lot. If, we can t- if you want to know more, we can talk. I'm, I'm an open book. But there was a lot I had to come into the light in. What about you? What are things you need to bring into the light? Is it a pornography addiction? A sexual addiction? Is it a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Is it a relationship? Is it a career? Is it just even your own image of yourself? Right? Because that was something for me I wanted to protect. What are people going to think if I all of a sudden start talking about Jesus? Yeah. And become that girl. You know, I don't want to be the church girl. Right? But what, what, are, what is it for you? What are things that you need to be exposing and, and fighting to love the light? There's definitely things that when I, talked about, when I talk about them, it makes me acknowledge who I am without God. Yeah. Like for me, whenever I think of that scripture in Romans that was shared last night, like while you were still sinners, Christ died for you when you were at your worst. For me, my worst was when I went as a sophomore, freshman or sophomore at Georgia State, I went to a party at a strip club half-dressed, basically could have been a stripper myself. A guy there asked me if I wanted to strip. I didn't, but it was an option. And I laughed at it. I thought it was a compliment. Because that's who I was. When I think about Jesus looking at me at my worst, that's the scene I go to. I remember a guy paying a dancer to dance with me so that he could watch. That's where I go. Where do you go? Where's your worst? Where's that moment that you know you're not proud of? And to talk about it would be terrifying. It's not easy to get up in here and say these things. For Becca to stand up in here and talk about these things. It's not easy. But as disciples, we've had to fight to learn to love the light. Yeah. Do you love the light? Are you willing to get exposed? Are you willing to talk about what is hard to talk about? Not because you are scared of what people think, but you're scared of displeasing God and hurting God. And that word repentance in the Greek, the word is metanoia. Meta means like change, like metamorphosis. We know that, right? And noia is mind, and like a paranoia, right? That's how that, those two words come together. It's a changing of your mind. So repentance doesn't mean that you are perfect. Yeah. Repentance means that you now agree that God's way is. Yeah. Repentance is, you know what? That girl is actually wrong. Who, everything that she encompasses, I now disagree with her. And I would like to agree with God. What does that look like? And that's the rest of your walk with God. (laughs) It's figuring out over and over and over again, what does that look like? And the hardest thing is to never turn back and go back to her. That's what's really hard because you've been her. It It is you, right? But repentance is not saying, I've checked this box and this box. I did this. I did this. I did this. Cool. That's not really repentance. Repentance, that's more behavior modification. Repentance is, I agree with you, God. I'm I'm in sin. You are right. What do I do? Whatever you tell me to do, that's... Does that make sense? Because I think a lot of times repentance can be something that we um, make more of an outward thing, but we really... It's almost like the first time I tried to stop drinking. I was like, I'm not going to drink anymore. I lost my scholarship. I need to get, get it together. I'm never going to parties again. And when I got my scholarship back, guess what I started doing again? Yep. I started doing it again. I started going to parties again. Because it wasn't repentance. I had stopped doing it more because I was disappointed in myself. Yeah, yeah. But I still missed it. I still was like, oh, man, they're going out. Oh, can I got to study. That's not repentance. <laughs> repentance is, is God changed my mind so that I do not want to go out or change the desire to smoke. That's repentance. I don't want to do that anymore. It's a change of our minds that we have to submit to. 
Whatever it is that you're thinking of, it's not worth it. It's not holding on to. It's not worth keeping in this life that God is trying to give you. Does that make sense? Whatever you're thinking about, I want you to really pray about God giving you the ability to let it go. And no longer live for yourself. We can't, we can't do both. I can't go in two directions at the same time, right? Even though that's what I did when I was in the world. And it was terrible, right? So don't do that. Our last thing is we're going to look at chapter, uh, Romans chapter 6. Well, actually, we're going to go to Acts 2 first. Sorry. Acts chapter 2. And even how, we're going to start in verse 29. Even um, before we talked about how we can't stop at faith, we also can't have our faith and say, because of our faith, I'm going to repent. We can't even stop there. Because remember, our goal is forgiveness of sins. You can't forgive yourself. That's, That's it. It's almost like, who in here has student loans? I have student loans. Right? So I graduated a while back, and I stopped taking out loans. But just because I stopped taking out loans, does that mean my debt is paid? I wish. Have y'all said, are you rich? No, I still have to pay my debt, right? So repentance is us saying, I'm no longer borrowing from you, Satan. I'm not taking any more of your stuff. But now are we debt free? No. The only thing that can forgive our sins is through the scripture that, right here. Because we want full healing. We don't want to just stop prematurely. So you guys can write down, for the sake of time, I'm going to have you go back and read this yourselves. So a little bit of homework for the retreat. Write down Acts chapter 2, 29 through 41. And I'll read verses, um, where do I want to read? I'll start in verse 36. It says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's so simple. <laughs> that was verses 39, that was 36 to 39. Okay, which one you told us to read? So you can write down Acts chapter 2, 29 through 41. So that just includes a little bit more context. Um, but for the sake of time, I just read the little gap in the middle, a little chunk in the middle. Um, but he's, this, this group of Jews is listening, and Peter tells them about the story of Jesus. That's the whole chapter, too. He's telling them the story about Jesus, right? And they, it says they were cut to the heart. And they thought, what do we do? So what does that mean? That means they had to have believed what Peter just said, right? Unless they were like, I don't care. Like, then they wouldn't have, but they, they were cut to the heart. Something moved internally where they believed and had faith in what Peter was saying. Because of that, they're like, brothers, what do we do? What's the first word? He says, repent. Change the way that you think. Don't think the way you used to think. Think like Jesus. It says, for those who accepted his message, they were baptized. The only thing that forgives your sin, biblically, is baptism. Biblical baptism. Because remember, if we're doing things the biblical way, we do it the whole way. So I can't just even show up at the baptistry if I don't believe in God and I haven't repented. I don't really think God's way is right, but I'm like, that's what I did when I was eight. My mom was like, hey, they're doing a baptism thing. You're going to get baptized. I said, okay, Cool. 1 Peter 3.21 talks about when you do it that way without a clear conscience, it's just removal of dirt from the body. You just had a public bath. If you don't do a baptism biblically, which is inclusive of faith and repentance, it's just a bath. I got wet. And it's not a bad thing to do, but it does not equal forgiveness of sins. Right? If one plus one plus one equals three and I take one of those out, I I don't get the benefit of the three. Biblically, Now, in the world, again, you can go, I mean, I could give you people's phone numbers where you can go and find something totally different. But if you're going to listen to God and God alone and just look at the scriptures, it's almost scarily simple. <laughs> it's almost like, that's it? You know? And, like, these people didn't have to go through interviews. They didn't have yeah. to go, like, they believed that, wow, I killed Jesus. I'm cut to the heart. What do I do? Repent and be baptized. Okay. Right? And so when we see that in the scriptures, we want to imitate that. Because that's what they did in the Bible. That's what we want to do. I'm going to give you some more scriptures to look at. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, talks about how baptism is not a work of us, but it's a work of God. Because that's something I grew up with. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that, this concept that baptism being a work. We're not saved by work. But in the scriptures, again, we want to think biblically. And this is a lot of studying, a lot of being devoted to reading your Bible the people in the scriptures would have never thought baptism was a work. When you see work in the scriptures, they're talking about the law of kosher. They're talking about circumcision. And they're talking about Sabbath. Those are the works that they're referring to. But 2,000 years later, when we see baptism, somehow, someway, Satan's in there has been able to add baptism to that list. Because you're right. You're not saved by works. You're not saved because you practice Sabbath. 
You're not saved because you've been circumcised. You're not saved because of what you eat. That's what these listeners would have thought. But we sometimes can throw baptism in there, and it's, not, it's just not in there. There's no reason for us to think that if the people in the Bible didn't think that. Because I want to think biblically. For me, I want to go back as far to the source as possible. Because if I come up with a new way to be saved that started in, what, like 1733, what about the lady who died in 1731? Does that mean she didn't have a chance? Yeah. No. <laughs> we got to go back as far as possible. Yeah. That's this. This is the first time in the scriptures people were told how to become disciples after the death of Jesus. That's where we're at. We're in the world of after, after the death of Jesus. You can write down Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. That talks about being united with Christ in the waters of baptism. That we die to our old sin. We die to ourselves. Go check those out. Um, and 1 through 7. I mean, the whole chapter is really great, but 1 through 7 is kind of the focus point. Um, and I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 2, and then we're going to be finished. hope this is making sense. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 2, 4 through 10. It says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with him, with Christ Jesus, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages... He might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What I love about the journey that Jesus lays out for us is that the one thing that actually does the saving, that actually does the forgiveness, is the thing that we don't do anything in. Faith is a decision that you make. You You can decide right now, actually, I don't like this then you can leave, right? That's, God has given you that free will. Faith is a decision you make. Repentance is also a decision that you make, right? Like, I'm going to actively decide that God's way is right and my way is wrong. Baptism is something that is passive. It is done to you. And it kind of doesn't make any sense, even. Water, like, why water? Why not, like, a certain number of drunken jacks? Or, I don't know, like, how he came up with it, I have no idea. But that's what God decided. And if that's what, if the bank can have a standard, if your school can have a standard on how you apply, you can't just be like, I really want to go to tech, so I'm here. <laughs> that's cute. You need to go apply. <laughs> you know, like, if everyone else can have a standard, when yeah. God, God tells us his standard, we need to follow it. Yeah. And we need to be grateful that we even have such clear access to it, that he isn't yeah. sneaky and there's, a no, there's no reference letters that we need because I probably wouldn't have been able to find one good enough. You know, like, God is like, come. This is how you come. And I want you to come, but this, this is kind of the only way to come. Yeah. Right? And so I want you guys to go back and look at those scriptures that I gave you. Go read through these things. And it's, it's another cool example is uh, in Acts chapter 9, you get to see Saul, who later became Paul, go through that process. Yeah. He, like, was able to change the way he thought. He really decided that he was going to fast and pray when he didn't used to believe in Jesus. He started praying to Jesus. And through all his, he, you know, experienced a miracle, had his eyes, he got his sight back. All this stuff happened to Paul, and at the end of the day, you get to see his faith grow, you get to see him change his mind, and you get to see him baptized. And I want to ask each of you, where are you in that journey? Are you confident in your faith? Are you like, yeah, Jesus is it. Like, Peter says, I have nowhere else to go but you, God. Are you there? What about your repentance? Are you still low-key thinking the world is just better, I don't really know if I want to do this? That's okay if you are. Just deal with it. Wrestle with it. Read your Bible. Pray. Fast. Like... It's worth figuring out, right? It's worth fighting for. Are you ready to get baptized? Hey, I really feel like I know that my way is wrong. I know Jesus is good enough to handle me. Acts 8, the unit goes, what's standing in the way of me being baptized? Right? And, and what's cool about that and what's cool about Jesus is that's the standard for everyone. This isn't a like, oh, if you live in Georgia or if you don't have a religious past or if you're black or if you Anyone who wants to follow Jesus does it the biblical way. Yeah is invited to go through that same process. And so as we close, what I want you guys to do as we finish, I'm going to say a prayer. And then I want you to, whoever you're in here with or whatever, or even if you go, you know, walk to lunch because lunch is after this, the first 10 minutes out of this class, I just want you to pray. Whether it's a prayer walk, whether you sit in here for a second and pray, like each of you pray for five minutes or whatever. Or even if you don't, if you don't feel comfortable praying out loud, that's okay. Just sit and think. Because we talked about a lot. (laughs) This is a whole lot. And before you go spill your beans to a person, you need to deal with God. Because that's who we're here for, right? You're not here to please me or to please the girl who brought you here, to make the person happy that you decided to have faith. Like, 
It is literally not about any of us. It's, and one thing that Becca said that I loved before we came in here, we were praying. She said, it's not about us, but it's also not about you guys. This is about Jesus. This yeah. is about the honoring and the glorying of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to take a second, whether it's quietly, if you don't feel comfortable praying or going to prayer walk or whatever. But when we leave, before you just say, this is what I thought, this is what I think, this is what I want to do, like, talk to God. Yeah. Slow down. Think about what we just talked about. Pray about it. And then after you've had that time to kind of reflect, then whoever you're with or whatever, come like, okay, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I got. This is a question I had. This is something I disagree with. That's okay. Wrestle with it. Yeah. Don't run from it. Amen? Yeah. I'm going to say a prayer, and then you guys are dismissed. Uh, Holy God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for, God, you, first of all, giving us your son, your only son, the one that you loved, is what the Bible says. Thank you so much for giving us him. I pray that we can be humble and respectful um, as we approach you, God. I pray that if there's anyone in this room that's uh, weary in their faith, that you strengthen it. I pray if there's anyone in this room that's not confident in whether or not they want to repent, I pray that you show them the truth. And I pray if there's anyone in here that's ready to get baptized, God, that you shut Satan up and you let them get their sins forgiven soon, God. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, ladies.